Hey there, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of May 23, 2011. This is episode 105, and I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We are the healthcare marketing agency that puts on the podcast. Today, I am joined uh, by Adam Meyer, our creative director, but Adam is sick with laryngitis, so he's not going to say anything. But because we know that most people would tune off at this point if they knew it was just going to be me, we decided to invite a guest to the show, a guest who's been with us before, Chris Boyer from Innova Health System. Chris, are you there? I am here. Hey. How you doing, sir? Going? Doing pretty good. I'm, I know I'm filling big shoes for Adam. I will do my best to channel my inner geek. I have a feeling, though, I'll, I'll be... Uh, doing pretty good at channeling that uh, the bastardness of Adam for this podcast. So, Well, I can vouch that you can you could equal or surpass Adam and geekiness, so I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> we, should also, we should also mention that Jackie Ritako, who's normally on the show with us, is not in studio or in the office or in the state or in the country. She is traveling to Spain. How about that? Wow. Yeah, isn't that nice? I hope she's drinking sangrias and enjoying herself. I'm sure if she's there, she is. I think she left. <laughs> We're recording this on Friday, as usual, and I think she left yesterday. So I assume she's there. Oh, that's great. So we have some really awesome topics today that Chris and I have pulled together. First, a couple of updates. Just a reminder to go to our website. We have a new uh, workshop up on uh, packaging wellness programs for marketing success. Chris, you've seen that one, right? I have. I actually uh, I really like the topic, near and dear to my heart. Well, not that we're patting ourselves on the back. We do feature your Fit for 50 campaign in there as an example of how to do it right, but uh, I think it's a great workshop for people to check out. So they should go look at that. We have a new weekly probe article up. Have you seen that, Chris? I sure have. It was pretty funny. Yes, that is uh, May is named National Awareness of Healthcare Awareness Month's Month. Now, if you <laughs> if you know anything, if you if you know the weekly probe, you know it's basically a fake news site, right? It's it's like the onion for healthcare marketing. So we had the idea for creating a fake news story about the glut of healthcare, you know, awareness type of designations for months or weeks. And we were going to make fun of it by creating, you know, kind of making up obscure or ridiculous designations. What's really interesting is I just did a search when I was writing the story and I came upon a web uh, webpage that is... Uh, it's on a government site somewhere, uh, and it lists 178 actual designations, which <laughs> the listing was more funny than anything we could have made up. So when if you read the story, even though it's a fake story, the actual designations that are in there are real, such as National Folic Acid Awareness Week. That's my favorite. Do you like that one? Uh, I do. I think the one that's getting the most buzz is National Rip Current Awareness Week, which I'm sure somebody, you know, had an unfortunate accident with the rip current, which is why it's there. Uh, but the point is, you know, if we're going to have an awareness month or week or day for everything, then it pretty much defeats the purpose. I think. <laughs> well, and I'm wondering why they're celebrating that, you know, really old comedian, Rip Current. You mean Rip Torn? Oh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's Mediterranean Diet Month. There's Fruits and Veggies More Matters Month. That's your favorite week. 
or month uh, month sports eye safety month uh and there's uh you know there was also the the way we got the story started was there's there's a designation for every type of healthcare worker so like national medical transcriptionist week so you can't make that stuff up that's funnier than any kind of fiction well i think we should uh, designate next week to be uh, national ingrown toenail week i think that's already designated oh that's in july oh okay well yeah. wow i got to make sure i uh <laughs> I promote that on Facebook. Circle that on your calendar. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's get into these, Chris, because we've got four to cover. I don't know if we're going to be able to cover all four. Uh, but the first two are pretty deep, deep, insightful, mind-bending kind of uh, topics. Uh, and as healthcare marketers, I think we really need to to think through these. So the first one is uh, an article that was uh, I actually first came across from a tweet from Warren Johnson from mid-Michigan. Have you ever met Warren, Chris? I've never met him in person, but he's one of those Twitter friends of mine. So Yeah, and mine as well. And he is a, he's a fantastic source for information. He's always providing what I think is really relevant and insightful information. Uh, I also see him on the ShushMid uh, message board come through. Uh, always providing really helpful. He, I think he has his own blog, and I can't. He's going to kill me for not remembering the name of it. Uh, but he, you know, he catalogs resources for all sorts of things that are helpful to healthcare marketers and communicators. So uh, he's just a great source. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. But that's where I first saw this, and it's actually an article from Reuters. Uh, and it's did I already say the title? I can't remember. I got short term memory today. Hospital ratings may miss high performers. So this was a study done by uh, physicians at, let me get this right, the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, which I think is a pretty respected, certainly a respected uh, institution, Washington mm-hmm. University. I don't know about their School of Medicine, but I'll, I'll just assume it's respected. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they looked specifically at health grades and U.S. News and World Report uh, and they looked at you know their top rankings. So like HealthGrades has America's 50 best hospitals, and U.S. News and World Report has the same number, the top 50 hospitals. And they did a study to look at whether those designations actually distinguish those hospitals from others that are not in the top 50 uh, when it comes to outcomes. So their study is going to be published in the Archives of Surgery. Uh, and it basically showed that for three types of cancer surgery, so I'm assuming they just had to start with that, uh, America's 50 best hospitals as ranked by health grades are no better than other hospitals, and this is the qualifier, once the number of patients they treat are taken into account. And then they said the same thing for U.S. News and World Report, uh, the top 50 hospitals trumped the rest on just one of the surgeries, removal of the colon or part of it. So other than that, uh, there really was no difference. So one of the, uh, let's see, well, this guy's from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I'm sorry, I, g- I gave credit to the study of the wrong people. There was an editorial from the folks at Washington University, uh, but the study was done by a group of physicians. So one of them is from the University of Michigan, who says, our findings show that both ratings fail to identify equally well-performing hospitals of similar volume. Okay, so... Have you, you've gone through this, right, Chris? This, this yeah. story. Yeah, so, what's your true. first takeaway, or what's your main takeaway from this? Well, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with ratings uh, companies. And you are. Yes, and uh, one thing I do know, I mean, it's first of all, r- the whole concept of ratings, rating hospitals is kind of 
a difficult thing to do anyway, because from a mathematical perspective, I have that math background. I mean, what you basically have to do is you have to put all data into this one huge database and kind of normalize the data so you can rate them against each other. So, I mean, this really brought out some of the, it's not only the, the negatives of, of these two companies ratings, um, ratings awards or whatever it's just ratings in general it's a very difficult thing to do because what happens is it's kind of like you have to put everything onto a curve and you have to force data into a bell curve it's tough to do um and so my first outcome or my first takeaway from that is you know this is a difficult thing and yeah no wonder there's there's these challenges here because really i mean they're taking you know great a big group of uh, huge list of data and they're trying to compare them to one another. No wonder that the outcomes of the ratings are, are a little bit skewed from what actually occurs. Well, and, and, you know, we always have to take studies like this with a grain of salt because I'm assuming university of Michigan is on both those lists. Maybe they're not, who knows what is driving the people behind the study. So you always have to kind of dig deep for that. But, but one of the things they're doing, um, that's a little, I don't know. I, I think it's accurate and fair, uh, and it caused, calls into question one of the flaws you're pointing out here is they're picking on best hospitals. So they're picking right. on a very general rating. And then they're looking at one specific component of that, which is cancer. So, you know, if you're going to rate the best hospital, you have to look across, what, two dozen service lines, hundreds of procedures. And you have to, like you said, you kind of have to average that and say, well, this hospital, when you look across all of those, does better than another hospital. If you, you know, it's almost like saying uh, if you did a study of Walmart versus Target and you looked Mm -hmm. at a Target store and a Walmart store and you said, in general, Walmart has cheaper products. Right. So on average, right? But but Target could go on and say, well, that's not true. Look at our toilet paper. It's cheaper. And look at our pop. It's cheaper. So, you know, that's part of the problem uh, both with this study because they're kind of cherry picking, but also with the idea of rating a hospital the best hospital because patients don't use a hospital, the entire hospital, right? They use cancer care or they use uh, heart care or something like that. So, uh, you know, their point is valid in it, it kind of – it kind of uncovers this big flaw with the generalization of a best hospital. Right. And, you know, and then you also pick, you know, something like a cancer patient. That's a very complex patient. If you think about it and, you know, I mean, depending on the types of cancers and the, the, all the different things that come into that patient, it, you know, I think outcomes vary a lot around cancer services. And so it's just, yeah, it does seem a little bit, Skewed. I, I almost sense that this article was was written and these these doctors put it out just to get that that sort of that buzz in the media because you know ratings is a hot topic for hospitals. Yeah, and we've spent a ton of time trying to advocate for really being careful about using ratings as a marketing message or as a peg for your advertising. I mean, first of all, it's so diluted. There's so many of them. Uh, that, you know, just every single new one that comes out dilutes the power of all of them. They're what we call transitory, meaning they're here one year and gone the next, uh, which can really cause you issues from a marketing um, perspective. It's a classic example of chest pounding, kind of look at us as opposed to, um, you know, thinking about the, the end user or consumer first. Uh, and, you know, a lot of studies have shown that consumers really don't value uh, rankings and awards uh, when it comes to making decisions about where they receive care for all the reasons we just listed. 
Uh, and, and this just goes deeper into it. I mean, uh, not sure you want to make a choice of where to have any kind of surgery or treatment based on a best hospital overall, because you really have no idea of, well, where did it rank? Uh, is, let's say joint replacement. Well, where did it rank for orthopedics or joint replacement or the physician that I'm actually seeing? The right. surgeon I'm seeing, which could right. be, you know, that surgeon could be the lowest of the pack uh, in a mediocre orthopedic service line that is, you know, a hospital that's lifted up by cardiology and oncology as a best hospital. So those are just the things that I think um, to think about. But here's something else, Chris. I really need your help with this. Uh-huh. So they say that um, once they normalize this by the number of patients that are treated. Okay, so later on the story, it says, um, the study examined how many patients died within 30 days of cancer surgery, comparing the top 50 hospitals with the two ratings to other hospitals across the nation. The researchers made sure to adjust for differences between patients, including income and sickness. So first of all, that's that matters. So acuity, for example, uh, which is often a complaint of hospitals and physicians that aren't rated, they'll say, well, we treat more difficult patients. So of course more are going to die. Uh, we're going to have worse outcomes. So if, if you're not adjusting for sickness, uh, income only if it correlates to health, which you can make a general assumption that the poorer your income, the poorer your health, I guess. Uh, I don't have that research, but I'm assuming that's what they would show. Uh, then yeah, if you're treating poor folks, sicker folks, uh, with higher acuity, you're going to have worse outcomes. So that that seems legitimate, right? Okay, so here's the question. Uh, why does it matter? Uh, but when the research is adjusted, later it says, but when the research is adjusted, the numbers for how many patients were treated, something the ratings don't consider, the top-ranking hospitals had better results only in colon surgery. Why does that matter? If I'm a consumer and I'm looking for the best place to you know, go for surgery based on a ranking of quality outcomes, and it's been adjusted for acuity of the, the sickness of the people there. Why do I care whether, hey, it's not fair, you know, the bigger hospital with more volume, um, is, it has worse ratings? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that they're trying to draw a correlation between the fact that, you know, that if you treat more patients, you obviously have better processes, Maybe you have a better experience around that. You have a bigger track record. I think, you know, I think volume is important to hospitals in terms of how much you treat because that will help yeah. you to understand, you know, um, and, and learn how to treat those patients better. So I think there is a correlation. They're trying to make a correlation between size equating to better experience and, and better outcomes. Okay. I, I really haven't seen any data that specifically suggests that. Um, that, that that's indeed true, but I, I assume that. I mean, you know, I think that you know when I make a choice on a hospital, I kind of I kind of think about well, if they have you know if they're if they're if this hospital treats them you know delivers the most babies, maybe that's where we should go to deliver our baby because well, they know what they're doing. I, I think it's you know I get that part. I mean, Leapfrog is a is a well known respected organization, and they have. Um, in many cases, minimums for volumes when yeah. it comes to how they rate folks. So there's a lot of evidence, though not everybody agrees, that the more you do, the better the outcomes. But this is what I don't understand. That would come through in the ratings. In other words, if you are looking at outcomes of hospital A, which is big, and hospital B, which is small, uh, why you know you would assume hospital A would have better outcomes because of the volume. So why would you need to adjust the ratings to normalize the volume. It seems like you're actually discounting what we just talked about. Do you see what yeah. I'm saying? 
I do exactly. I think that you know maybe as a supplement to this article, those those doctors should maybe uh, release their methodology and and let us take you know, <laughs> have us look at it like before the adjustment and after the adjustment. I think that would be more valid thing to do. I right. don't know why they did that. So you know, it's interesting. You it's know. hard. To, it's hard to tell. I mean, we we'll probably have to yeah. wait till the study comes out. But it does say, Health Grade's top fifty hospitals did better on just one type of surgery to begin with, but that advantage disappeared completely after taking patient volume into account. And that's why I don't understand. I'm assuming Health Grade's ratings already takes it into account, meaning they don't. They basically just report here are the outcomes. You know, like if if you have, uh, unless it's unless we're talking about. Uh, well, you know, Hospital A, the big one, had 100 um, negative outcomes, and Hospital B only had five. So you might look at that and go, well, Hospital A is worse because it had 100. So if right. you're looking at the actual raw number, then, yeah, that wouldn't be fair. You'd want to look at it as a percentage, you know, because if that 100 negative outcomes was 1% of the volume and the whatever I said, five negative outcomes is 10% of the volume of the smaller hospital. Now you go, okay, well, I got a 1% chance of something bad in big one, 10% in the small one. That absolutely does matter. So you can't tell from the article, but if that's what they're talking about, yeah, that would be really important. I think so. I mean, I think that that's, I'll be interested to see when this, when this article or the study actually gets published just so we can see what they mean by that. I mean, there's so many ways you can take that adjusting it for volume. So, you know, it's, but at least it got the headline. I mean, it's it's all a buzz. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah, and there's been studies like this that have come out before, and it always makes me wonder when they're by physicians. Um, you know, my first, I'm always such a cynic when it comes to research. So my first instinct is, okay, you guys didn't get, you know, they were miffed because they weren't on one of the lists and they decided to set out and do a study. Um, and the fact that they're only looking at one type, you know, like cancer makes me really curious as to whether they picked one where they, they could say, okay, we know this is going to show, you know, a difference between the best 50 hospitals and cancer care. Um, but again, there's a valid point to that because you don't, you don't go to Walmart and buy everything at Walmart and then go to target and buy everything at target and go, yeah, you're right. You, you pick what you need based on the care you need. So Anyway, interesting. Hope, yeah, it's a very interesting. Hopefully you don't go to Walmart to get your cancer surgery either. Well, maybe that's coming. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They've already got the primary care clinic. Yeah, they do. Okay, let's, okay. let's stay on this track because I think there's yeah. some ethics in that. Um, yes, there is. There's some serious ethics in this next story. So where did you – okay, so first of all, the, I'm going to ask you where you found this in a second, but the story is called – Robotic surgery oversold on hospital website study contends. Uh, and it's actually the story I printed off is on healthfinder.gov. Uh, do you know where you first saw this, Chris? Uh, I, I set up uh, some alerts, a lot of different alerts on different, you know, different healthcare stuff. And it just came around one of my Google alerts. And I jumped right to it because, you know, I just like you kind of have a beef with, uh, with ratings, I kind of have a beef with Da Vinci robots. I think that marketers are sell Davinci robots way too much, and I think that it kind of defeats the purpose. And so it jumped right out at me, and I just picked it up, took a look at it. It's really insightful. Do you do you uh, do you have it in front of you? Do you want to give people a background on this one, or do you want me to do? Well, it? Uh, why don't you go ahead and give? I don't have it actually in front okay. of me, but go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll read the important points, and then we can kind of discuss. So uh, Johns Hopkins. Now, there's a. I think that's a qualified source, wouldn't you say? 
Okay. The lead is many hospitals tout the benefits of robotic surgery on their websites without solid scientific evidence to back up those claims, John Hopkins researchers report. In fact, four out of 10 hospitals in the study excuse me, only used manufacturers' claims that robotic surgery is better than conventional surgery, an assertion that the researchers said is unproven and misleading. So they went through and they, all they did was they looked at uh, websites, hospital websites, uh, and they basically looked at the claims uh, that people had on their websites concerning robotic surgery. And I, I'm going to read some of the statistics because they're, they're pretty amazing. So uh, let's see. Thirty-two percent of the sites claim that robotic surgery improved cancer outcomes, which one of the um, researchers said, frankly, the claims are overstated. Improved cancer outcomes—that's ridiculous. So thirty-two percent of the sites claim robotic surgery improved cancer outcomes. Eighty uh, percent of the robotic surgeries done in the U.S. are urological or gynecological. Uh, There have been no randomized trials in these in these areas comparing robotic and conventional. Uh, Where are the oh here are the stats? Researchers found forty one percent of the websites detailed the availability of robotic surgery and how it worked. Thirty seven percent of these sites had information on the homepage, and sixty six percent had a link to another page. Okay, the information on seventy three percent of these sites came directly from the manufacturer. So not all hospital sites, but those that touted. Robotic surgery. So 73% of those that touted, if I'm reading this right, right, had content coming directly from the manufacturer. Yes. And 33% offered a direct link to the manufacturer's site. 89% of the site said robotic surgery was better than conventional. Claims included less pain, 85%, shorter recovery, 86%, less scarring, 80%, and less blood loss, 78%. No hospital website mentioned risks associated with the surgery. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, yeah. So here's my theory on this. Um, robotic surgery, the robotic, uh, the, the companies that actually make the robotic surgeries, when they actually uh, sell one of these large multi-million dollar robots to a hospital system, one of the things they provide is just the suite of content that they can publish in brochures, on websites, and all that. And, you know, you couple that with, uh, you know, the, the need of the, the, the service line to say, hey, look, we just got this million-dollar robot to the marketer and go market it. Here's all the content you need. And that marketer who doesn't, you know, who's taking that lead from the, from the service line probably just copies that right on the website without checking, without validating, without digging into it just to get that content out there, you know, to appease the doctors that just purchased that robot. I think this is a this is is a, is, is uh, an example of co- combining an overworked marketer with you know some uh, a very quick solution that uh, you know, the the surgical device companies are are taking advantage of. It's uh it's really interesting and the guy, one of the guys for the study I should get his name in here Dr. Marty Macri an associate professor of surgery at Hopkins the lead researcher okay. So he says the growth of robotic surgery has been driven by hospital marketing. Quote, marketing a robot has become a very successful strategy for hospitals. It implies the hospital has state-of-the-art care, he said. Patients may perceive the hospitals on the cutting edge because they do robotic surgery. I think that's all true and fair. The, the problem yeah. really becomes, I mean, you do have state-of-the-art care if you have a robot. The problem becomes, and I think his point is, 
a claiming it's better than other procedures when there's not evidence of it. Um, and then B, he makes a bigger statement about this is the problem with our whole healthcare system because basically we're out there, you know, spending all this money, millions and millions of dollars on this technology without even knowing whether it's better than the way we did it before. Well, you know, I mean, I think if you if you use a robot, uh, obviously those robots have been tested and there have been studies done or else they probably they wouldn't be released and used in, in you know in patient care. But I mean, I think we have to be really careful and we have to take a critical eye to if we're going out to promote, you know, promote the fact that we, we invested in this technology and we're being state of the art, that, you know, that, that we're, we're following up to make sure that the outcomes are actually, you know, supporting the fact that our, you know, that, that this investment was, was actually paying off and helping with patient care. Um, but when you first purchase, a, you know, purchase one of these, one of these big robots, yeah, it's so easy and so tempting to just say, oh, look, the studies have been done, copy and paste it and link it over to the Da Vinci site or whatever, and, uh, you know, there you go. You know, your, your, your job is done, you know. Right. And I, I think that not every hospital has an has a in-depth research staff like Hawkins does to go and validate this and check later, but I think every hospital does spend time to ensure that their robot, the robotic devices are actually are actually you know used to improve patient care. So right. you know, it's a marketing it, issue, I think. It's a marketing issue, but it brings up a huge marketing issue that that hospitals and health systems I think really haven't had to deal with. You know, there are certainly um there's more and more scrutiny of, of hospital marketing and hospital advertising, but it's still not held to the same level as say uh pharmaceutical. I mean you you look at a, a, an ad for a drug in a magazine and it's three pages, you know, one page of usually, you know, boring blah, blah ad with showing old dude throwing a football through a tire. And then two pages <laughs> of disclaimers uh, about, you know, the side effects and the effectiveness of it based on clinical trials and all that. You know, this the the researcher, Dr. Uh, Macri, if I'm pronouncing his name right, notes that there's been no evidence-based studies. His quote is, um, there have been no randomized trials in these areas comparing robotic and conventional surgery. So, you know, of course, one of the spokespeople from the makers of Da Vinci Robot disagrees, not surprising, intuitive surgical, um, (laughs) says that the evidence of robotic surgery is well-documented. But, you you know, here you've got a doctor at a well-respected institution who really has, as far as we know, no you know, he's objective unless he's got stock in like a competitor for intuitive. We don't, you know, there's, we can trust his word. We can't trust the word of the manufacturer of the leading robotic technology. We need somebody else uh, who's objective to come out and say, well, you know, actually there is, there are studies, maybe they're not comprehensive or conclusive, but there are plenty of studies that say the opposite. And really, you don't get that in this. You get other physicians weighing in who tend to agree in general with the study, saying that you know there's a lot of inf- misinformation. Uh, they're oversold. They're overpromoted. A lot of it depends on the surgeon. It's himself or herself, not just the technology. So, well, I mean, it, it reminds me a lot. I mean, it's like almost like uh, we we focus too much on the technology, and we're not focusing on the patient and the patient care and the patient outcome. 
and right. in our marketing. And, and I think that's a, that's kind of a, you know, a drawback, but there is, we, we do fall as an industry, we do fall prey to that. I mean, that does happen occasionally. I mean, think about like in the, in the auto industry, remember from the seventies, so now I'm dating myself, but you know, Ricardo Montalban selling the fine Corinthian leather, you know, it's kind of like selling a Da Vinci robot is like equivalent to selling the leather on its uh, seat of a car as you know, part of the experience. I think what we should do is we should take a step back and, and really talk about, you know, how we're going to, if we're going to market against technology, we have, we have a commitment to make sure that we're measuring the use of that technology and that it is indeed improving care, not just coming right out of the gate with, you know, all these stats that are unverified. So right. It's, it's tough though. I understand the, you know, I understand the, 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 the temptation of doing that, but you know, Da Vinci robots are the Corinthian leather of healthcare. <laughs> I don't know if they'd like that or not like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I have no affiliation with intuitive technologies. Yes. So you're objective <laughs> so, when you say that. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Well, we have two more things to talk about, and we're not going to get to both. So we have to, we have to wrap up here. So I'm going to make this really quick, and I'm going to ask you, Chris, over or under? Over. Definitely okay. over. Yeah, definitely over for me too. And what we're talking about is a blog post that I believe Adam stumbled across that was called Over or Under the Science of Toilet Paper Orientation. And this has nothing to do with healthcare. Well, I suppose it could. I suppose if you had, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, it would really matter. Sure. I, and I think it's also, you know, I mean, it depends on what you're doing in the patient rooms. I guess, but what's awesome is we'll post a link to this and it's this fantastic infographic that kind of makes it look like it's this official engineering thing. And it's got, you know, celebrity endorsement of each style and personality traits. Like if you prefer it over, um, your personality traits are like to take charge overachiever and stays organized. Uh, and there's a formula for each. Like, so here's the formula for over normal force of wall on roll results in kinetic friction with coefficient, some Greek symbol, I can't tell greater than zero, which may be sufficient for accidental tearing. And then under is, uh, F to the T my like change zero, no contact between roll and wall, no kinetic friction occurs and roll spins freely. I, I have to say that is not accurate. And I would say over which 70, 70% of the people prefer over. I can't imagine any preferring under. Oh, I have, some people do prefer under. I've had arguments with that with people. Oh, you can't, you can't find it. Where's the, ed- you know, where's the edge? And- I know. And you spin the roll and all of a sudden all the toilet paper rolls out on the floor. And it's, yeah, it's a mess. That's the over or the under? The under. The under. Yeah, I think so too. The That's benefits of the over are easier to tear off desired number of tiles. <laughs> less chance of scraping wall with knuckles, exactly, and gathering yes. germs. Yes. And easier to locate and grab the end. That's the primary one. The advantage of the under, less chance of unraveling in an RV or during an earthquake. Good point. Uh, less chance of cat or small child unraveling the roll. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and tidier appearance. Boy, those are pretty lame. Yeah, I would argue tidier appearance is not. Is, it should be on the over as well. Yeah, well, maybe we can put up a poll on our website to see what see what our listeners think. But I think I think I'd have to go with over. And with that, we're gonna have to wrap up. We had a really cool one. We'll have to save that one for later. The CDC and the zombie apocalypse. That is 
fantastic. It's actually on the CDC site. I know. We'll put we'll post a link to it, but it's definitely a talker. So, well, thanks for joining us, Chris. That was awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Chris. Yes, yeah. appreciate we, it. We will have you back again uh, someday in the future. But for now, for Adam Meyer, who can't talk, and Chris Boy, our guest. This is Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards. I'm Chris Bevelo. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week.